Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Do we still have to slow down in school zones if everyone is virtual? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Welcome back, listener, to the driver's seat. Take us to school. is by R. Buckminster Fuller. If you want to teach people a new way of thinking, don't bother trying to teach them. Instead, give them a tool, the use of which will lead to new ways of thinking. Last episode, we answered a listener inquiry about the American dream and how we feel the narrative of America has been changing. This week, we're back on the main road, mostly. Back in March, we talked about online schooling and remote working. Well, we're back in the school zone and definitely going under 25 miles per hour. This week, we'll be tackling another round of what online learning is shaping up to be this fall. As everyone heads back to school, mostly virtually, at least here in North Carolina, what are some different ways to think about online learning? I would definitely say that there are a lot of pros to online learning. Uh, And if we choose to frame our view in a more positive spin, it makes it a little bit easier to approach it. Uh, One of the really cool things about online learning is that it helps students who have anxiety and chronic illnesses, uh, as well as other medical concerns that would otherwise make face-to-face schooling really challenging. Another great thing is that it can eliminate our inclement weather days. No more breaking into summer break or, you know, Saturday school like Ben and I used to have growing up. But I love a snow day. Does this mean... If it ever snows in North Carolina again, I don't get the day off school. Well, when's the last time you really had a day off school then? Never. Actually, how does that? Since things are virtual, are you just expected to attend class like normal? I'm not sure we have an answer to that yet. And we may not have an answer until it happens. Because with inclement weather also comes power outages, which can be a downfall of virtual academy. Um, But we'll learn more as we get there because everything is still in development, uh, which is why we're in a construction zone and a school zone, extra low. And there's no commitment yet to this change. This is all in response to a pandemic. Which is true. Depending on the way online learning is set up, which it sounds like from what I've heard from students is both synchronous and asynchronous. Uh, students do have the opportunity to learn at their own pace. Uh, So if they need to go back and reiterate things, they have the tools and the access to do that. And it's much more, it's easier to access now because it's all been lined up to be in one space. Prior to having virtual academy and other online sources, it was much more in the classroom. So it was harder to get access to at home or it was more challenging to find all of the resources quickly. It allows children to go deeper into areas of interest of theirs. Um, So they might have the opportunity in virtual study hall to ask questions about things that they're interested in or, you know, talk to teachers, stuff like that. Well, that's not quite how what I meant by kids can go deeper. It's not that they can access their teachers live. It's more that they can 
uh, find more information about those things online. And if a virtual academy was set up so that kids could dig deeper, they could have uh, access to good sources of information about those topics. Don't they already have access to that kind of thing in normal school? Yes, but with this, more students have had access to internet and access to home tools uh, that they might not have had in the past or would have had to go to a public space to find. Mm, that makes sense. And if and if the country actually gets on board with online learning, they'll make it a, a, a priority to push the internet out to all of the rural areas uh, like they did with the telephone. So when the telephone was first invented, you could only find it in major cities. But there was a major push uh, in the recovery from the Great Depression to make sure that there were telephones everywhere, all the way out into rural areas. So you think a, po- a possible bright side of the pandemic, but maybe just like virtual learning is a push for more and better internet access uh, to the population. It could be, yes. Hmm. One, one other potential benefit of online learning is that uh, we can teach directly to different styles of learning. Some kids learn just the way schools teach, with auditory and written materials. Other kids learn kinesthetically, so they learn by actually doing things, interacting with objects. Some kids learn visually, so they need charts and maps and timelines uh, and a process flowchart. It's hard to do that in a classroom simultaneously with 30 different children who have different learning styles. It could be easier if the child knew what their learning style was, and that might not be until third or fourth grade. You know, it's got to develop a little bit. But if they knew what their style was, they could pull the module in their learning style and learn the concepts. That'll be a cool development if we choose to lean into this further and really develop what virtual academy is, especially in younger grades. Yes. And see, that's really the opportunity. This is an inflection point in history. And if we want to make education better for everyone, push it all the way out into rural areas, get it to places where maybe there are not a lot of teachers or there's not a lot of resources, the internet could allow for for that kind of thing. It could also standardize how kids are presented information to make, and we could iterate that standardized presentation so that it was more consistent across the board. That doesn't get rid of the job of the teacher. The teacher then could really focus on how do I help this child learn the concept? I don't have to worry about teaching the concept as much as I have to pay attention to how this kid learns. Well, and the teacher, I would think, would step into more of a role of answering complex questions that are harder to, you know, you can search things and dive into the internet, but when you have a resource there to ask who has the knowledge already, you could answer a more complex question faster. I mean, this is a great dream to build out modules of, I mean, to take an example, I don't know, like like an early geometry concept or something, you know, sure. and build it out in a visual learning style, in a written learning style, in a hands-on learning style. I, that's a really cool idea. I think we're a long way away from that. <laughs> well, we Unfortunately. are. Well, that, that's true. We are because no one has made this a priority. No one has said, could we transform the world? We're very stuck and people don't like change very much. 
So we're stuck in the old ways of teaching things. Well, and I think we're all talking a lot about public school because that's what's been affected the most because a lot of private schools, Montessori schools, that type of stuff have explored and expanded into these other types of learning. It's just not open to as many people, right? It's not an easily attainable resource. And with virtual learning, it becomes more attainable to a broader population. And it does even out that playing field of kids who are in rural areas who can't exactly go to a private academy in the city have the same access to these different tools that might not in the past have been available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've been talking about public school, virtual learning, remote learning, online learning, but I also heard this term virtual academy and I'm not familiar. Is that a new thing? What is virtual academy? That's the word being used here in North Carolina for online learning in the public school system. So if a child opts for online learning for the entire year, this means that they will not go back into the classroom at all. Um, Where they're going is the virtual academy. And this is not linked to your school? It's separate from the school. So the idea is virtual academy exists and then your school exists. If you're on plan B in North Carolina, as far as I understand it, okay. It's very complicated and it's changing all the time. That's right. But plan B is your intent is to go back to school when the school opens. And in the meantime, you're doing online learning. And when we go back to school, we might go back, at least this was one of the iterations. I don't know if this is the current one, where one third of the students are in school and two thirds are doing online schooling. And then they rotate out. So, So, okay. But if you opt for virtual academy, you're not going back to school ever. Right. Well, for the year. (laughs) Ever. So if I go to like Athens Drive and I have my set of teachers, but I opt for virtual academy, then do I not interact with those teachers? I just interact with virtual academy? I think that's correct. Huh. Weird. Good luck, kids. It's just a different set of teachers. It's like if you went to a different high school. Yeah, but that would be super weird if I just, if I as like a high schooler got the option, if you, Papa, came to me when I was, what, 15? Is sure. that junior in high school? Can be. It's usually sophomore. Okay. I'm a sophomore. I'm going into my sophomore year. I'm 15. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, son, do you want to go to online learning, but then like theoretically go back to your school and the teachers that you know? Or do you want to do virtual academy with a bunch of virtual teachers you don't know? That's a weird choice to make, I think. Of course, remember something. The teachers that you saw on your first day of sophomore year were different than the teachers you saw in freshman year. So you had new teachers anyway. Yeah, but you know them. You've seen them in the halls. You may have had some of them for other subjects. I mean, there's some... You're right. You're right that it is new, especially for like the primary subjects. But like you've been in the school building... And that's why I picked kind of the middle of high school. Like, you know, some of the people, you know, maybe you had one for like homeroom or something because that all gets shuffled around. It would just be strange to me to basically be making the choice to, like you said, switch schools to. It's interesting that they've made that a whole separate thing that's sort of independent of the physical school that you went to or were going to. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, listeners, 
we are three people who don't actually fully interact with the school system right now. Uh, I think Don is closest because teacher Janice is a teacher, but I've heard kind of what virtual academy is, but I don't know who's teaching it. Like they're relying on current teachers to teach virtual academy. Is, so, uh, so is Mama I, Janice teaching virtual academy? Uh, no, she teaches preschool special ed, so it's a whole well, different thing. they might thing. have a virtual academy. So to the degree possible, students will be assigned to teachers from their current school. I just looked okay. all this up. In it's some cases, though, they'll have to go to different schools within the same region to form classes, depending on the size. Okay, but that does make more sense. I was going to say, I like, mean, where is North Carolina getting the surplus of teachers to do virtual academy? <laughs> They're not, and yeah. that's actually part of the the issue for them is they're struggling really hard to accomplish all of this. Right. And I, my heart goes out to them as they try and manage this pretty difficult transition. All of the administrators are busting their butts trying to do the best thing that they can think of for students. Sometimes they forget about the teachers, but <laughs> they're trying to do the best they can for the students. So, you know, another thing about Virtual Academy, again, is here in North Carolina, particularly in Wake County Public Schools, that's the information I'm accessing at the moment. So if you have something different going on in your area, please write into us. We'll talk about it in the next show. So yeah, Virtual Academy, it's going to be an adventure. And I know it's a huge load on teachers. I have a couple of teachers on my caseload. And there's huge amounts of anxiety. And there's fear for the students, of the students who will fall between the cracks because they're dealing with silent stuff that won't get noticed anymore. Silent stuff like hunger, silent stuff like family violence at home, depression. all kinds of things. Yeah. D- depression, other mental health issues, not only in themselves, but also in their parents. And that's one of the things that online schooling, it's one of the cons of it, is that there's not enough social interaction. There's not a new support group. You two remember going through school you had some teachers who were really important to you, that were uplifting to you, that helped you learn leadership skills and things that were beyond the curriculum. Uh, yeah, that will absolutely. Be, yeah, and that, that'll be more difficult to do with online learning. Although I will tell you that all the kids who are enrolled in virtual academy have access to after-school activities from their base schools. It's not like they're now locked out of playing sports if sports are ever allowed to go again with pandemic or robot club. Robotics or debate club. Robot club. club. Yeah. Right. Oh, or other things like that. Right. <laughs> I just like how you dug that one up. Or robot club. I was robotics. in robot club. It's that was middle robotics, school though. y'all. Right, right, right. I couldn't remember. I was very bad at robot club. Again, you know, virtual academy, online learning, whatever we want to call it has kind of this plus and minus thing and we're floating in the middle and, you know, there are going to be a lot of challenges, but I want to lean in a little bit on what the pros of online learning are, right? Because I want to throw out a positive view for people because a lot of us are bashing on it because it's scary, it's new, it's change, and none of us have enough information to feel comfortable with it. But If we look at it from a perspective with a little bit more hope and excitement, there's no travel time. So, you know, all those pesky bus rides with the bullies and like the uncomfortable seats that no one wanted to sit in. Yeah, doesn't exist anymore. Super exciting. You can sleep in for 15 minutes. (laughs) That you can. 
Or you can spend more time getting a nutritious breakfast that's not peanut butter, waffles, and chocolate chips. Are you coming at me? Uh, the banjo special is extremely nutritious. I'm pretty sure I'm it gets the one you that who created sugar high the and you come like, into you come into class ready to roll. I am fairly certain that I created this back in the day, but okay, whatever. Other cool things about online learning. Uh, it's not dependent on live training. So if a student is sick, it's actually a lot easier for them to catch up and make sure they have access to the information. So if I can correct that, as long as the online training isn't dependent on live learning events, like right now, Virtual Academy is, you have to actually sign in at a particular time. There's a live class that happens. It'll only happen when it's, it's not recorded. So you don't have access to it afterwards. This is one of the things where we're, we're applying kind of the, the approach of live schooling in, in its worst way, because the teacher actually can't see all of the students simultaneously and manage behavior like the teacher can in the classroom. He or she is just delivering the information and hoping that it lands. This is difficult. I just had the opportunity to, to present a program for Columbia University's MBA students, and I had 70 people. And if I was sharing my screen, I could see five so I don't know what the other 65 were doing <laughs> or even if they were in the room still. <laughs> Things like that are, are part of the, the challenge of trying to take how school happens live, just putting it online. That mentality magnifies the difficulties of live teaching and doesn't take advantage of any of the possibilities that online learning could have. And it's but also... It, sorry, Kim. That's uh, actually the thing I was about to highlight. It's really hard to time it so you're not talking over another person and then trying to balance out who has the opportunity to ask questions or make comments. And there there are tools for that in these chat clients, but it you couldn't do it with a 30-person classroom. It would work better with maybe 12 people. And we're also talking about 12-year-olds. Or six-year-olds. Or six-year-olds. Like how- so that was, that's my question to you two, actually. I get how asynchronous learning could be a valuable addition or change to online learning and the ways that that would help say a high schooler who gets sick and misses a day they can go watch the lesson or at least check the notes or something like that more easily but with both asynchronous and live class virtually it places a lot more responsibility on the student does it not oh yeah they have i remember being a teenager and it would be i was a very responsible student and I would have a hard time doing this all virtually. I would absolutely get on the internet and go look at something, even if it was like educational, you know, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> be playing a video game, but I'd just be learning something else. That puts a lot of responsibility and a lot of, puts a lot of responsibility and pressure on the student and the teacher really can't do anything about that because, you know, they can try to enforce behavior virtually if they can see the students, which is already a problem, but likely they can't see them and they're not going to be able, you know, you can tell them, hey, pay attention, but like, what are they going to do? You're not in the classroom. You can't do anything. So how do you encourage the students to take responsibility for their own learning in a way that they have had to before, but now it's like really vital. Excellent question. I don't I know. Say, I Dr. Don, you got answers because I got clients who need this answer. Well, so I I don't know. Other than there is an opportunity with 
asynchronous lessons. So lessons that are prepackaged, that are honed in on a particular topic, like you were talking about geometry, right? Teaching the elements of, of geometry. What are the elements of geometry? Come on, somebody answer the question. Triangles. Oh, I have no idea. Hypotenuse. I mean, shapes. A squared. Pythagoras. B squared. C squared. Volume. The basis of geometry has to do with a point, a line, and a plane. Okay, Kim and I, Kim and I definitely <laughs> passed geometry. <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember hypotenuse. Okay, not a problem. I am sending you to remedial asynchronous school. We were just talking, and it was an excellent example of no responsibility for their learning. But you actually ask a really good question. It does put a lot of pressure on a kid to stay engaged, to accomplish the tasks. We can, however, use this medium in a way that is more polished in presentation, that allows for more edutainment. So because we're scripting it and we can structure it, it can be more entertaining. Kids can look at it a couple of different times. We can even set it up more like a game, and that would attract kids into the learning. I do remember when we were kids, we had those video games... I just remember one with like Egypt and we had to like solve math problems and write words out and stuff like that. Gamification of, of e-learning is definitely something that I actually know some about through work. I mean, that's used in corporate learning all the time. Mm-hmm. That said, it's expensive. <laughs> you know, it's complicated. It sounds easy. It's like, oh, make math games and then have like level progressions and they'll be invested in it and they'll be learning and they won't even realize it. Great. Let's go. But it's that would require a lot of funding and a lot of effort. And in order to get the funding and the effort, it would have to be a concerted effort. We're right now trying to deal with a pandemic and the fact that we can't get a lot of people in a room together. So we are doing the best we can with what we have. Part of what I get entranced about, and you guys know this, is that I love to see the possibilities. Right. And I see the possibility of where we could go with education in this. And And it's a beautiful vision. I mean, the idea of this crisis, this tragedy pushing not just the learning, but like internet access, the resources further and further from city centers, and then having these accessible public learning courses that you could take that would take you from, you know, elementary level of some subject all the way through to high school. I mean, that would be incredible for some adults and yeah. other populations that aren't just kids. Yes. If, if we could push to get something like that through the public school system and make it accessible to and then push for United it to be multilingual. Like, yeah. And that yeah. wouldn't even be hard. You could easily do that would be honestly the easier part of it. Right. Sure. Because you can add the translations later. Think about that if the entire globe came together to teach even just the basic things, things that are are factual and non-controversial, like Math. mathematics, physics chemistry, anatomy. But think about if we could get the entire global community to join together to create those modules in multiple languages. That's a way of diplomacy. That would be a way of pushing education out even farther than just the rural areas in our country. It'd be really cool. And we're not there yet. And there are dreams and there's hope. And I think it's beautiful. Back to the original question posed by Ben of how do we motivate our six-year-olds to focus during their elementary school lessons. It's really hard and understanding that there are days where it's not gonna happen. Learning your kid's own style is also important. Some kids are really fidgety. They like to move. 
getting them an exercise ball to sit on while they do their work, right? So that they're able to fidget, but also still be sitting and present during a video chat. Finding tools for them to use and paying attention to what they need. This requires a lot of effort on the parent's part, but facilitating that for your child so that they're able to focus. But outside of that, I've been stumped. So this is not the first time this question has been posed to me. And I honestly don't know. If your child's not into wanting to learn, it's really hard, especially if you were working 40 hours from home, to get your child on school. So listeners, if you're in this situation and have answers or just need to vent, please feel free to reach out because I would love to hear what's happening for you. I know there's a lot and we almost need like a community group for parents who are going through this because I got nothing. And this is something that is happening, at least around in our area, is that families are joining together in groups of two or three or four families uh, where everyone has similar styles of managing the pandemic. And they're creating these pods and then the kids go to one house at a time and they have an adult that they're hiring to come in and just supervise and help the kids stay on task. That's one of the solutions. Because you're right, kids are not just going to sit there and do this. They're not. Yeah, you certainly can't explain this to a six-year-old, and it would be hard enough to explain it to a teenager. Even if you have a very precocious teenager and you can have a serious conversation with them about, hey, you're going to have to be very responsible for your own learning, and this is really important, and I know that sucks, and it's hard, but like, I will help you, but you you have to do this. They're still going to struggle with that. It's just a hard situation to be in. And all of this right now, you guys are talking about having the resources to be able to hire in someone to sit with the kids, to be able to sit down and have a conversation with your team. You know, I there are parents out there who are working 15, 60 hours a week, single parents, and there's just not the time or space. And I'm scared for kids right now because those are the kids that are going to fall behind really hard because we don't know how to support them yet. My heart hurts for that. Well, and there's some parents who have just accepted that my kid is going to redo this grade. Right. And that's a scary thing to hold on to, too. And we have another problem. So if you're divorced and your kid goes back and forth between two parents and one parent is diligent about keeping the kid, you know, moving along in the classes and the other parent isn't for whatever reason, you know, no judgment. But the kid is now experiencing two different structures for this. There are lots of challenges with all of this, but there are even greater challenges of putting kids back into the school and these infections going wild, as we've seen with universities who tried to bring students back only to have huge outbreaks. Yep. Pretty much immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, North Carolina. Yeah. What's up? Talk about personal responsibility. None in these college kids. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, a stark reminder that this is not over. Because I think if you've, if you've been staying home and being really diligent about this, which is my experience, there are days where I'm just like, is it even a thing? Like I, I'm everybody I know has like stayed really, really close. But then, you know, I read the news. I see it's very much still still happening, still out there. Ugh. Okay. So we were talking about pros of asynchronous learning and we kind of fell way off of that. I'm going to add a couple of cons that we haven't touched on. One of the cons of online learning is you don't get the spontaneous opportunities 
that happen in a classroom when you talk with a colleague or you say, hey, Kim, I don't really understand this. And Kim explains it to me. And Kim gets the opportunity to reinforce her own learning by explaining it to me. And I understand it now because she took the time to do so. That kind of thing doesn't happen as easily on online learning. And the spontaneous creativity that happens when kids are throwing information back and forth and they have an insight into something new out of that stuff, that's more difficult to come up with. Humans are very social animals. We need interaction with others more than just on a screen. We need the whole push and pull of being with people. So those are some of the cons of online learning. Although I see huge pros for it, the other thing is, as Kim was pointing out, not all parents have the ability to monitor their kids while doing this. You know, a lot of parents can't even stay home with their kid. So they're like, where am I going to put my kids so they can do online learning? Because I actually have to be present to do my job. I can't do it virtually. And kids with poor internet connections, or there's a lot of family members using the internet. So there's now internet lag. I was reading an article about two teens who were sitting in a Taco Bell parking lot to do their homework. Yeah. yeah. I mean, very creative choice. Taking um, a lot of responsibility for their learning. Right. And, you know, I have some, I know of some teens who are going to like public parks that have Wi-Fi. But again, there's not a lot of public Wi-Fi that you can go to that you can sit at for extended periods of time without spending money. That requires a kid old enough to go to one of those places on their own. Correct. And again, parents have to work. Right. So even if they can work from home, they have to pay attention to the meeting that they're in. They can't pay attention to their kid. There are a lot of challenges with this, just a ton. And I think it's important for parents to know that teachers are aware of those challenges and that this is not going unheard. I have heard a lot of laments from friends of mine who are parents and they feel like teachers just don't understand. But I do think a lot of teachers are hearing this and are doing their best to respond. Yes. I can at least speak of a couple of teachers that I know who are hearing it and are doing their best. And the teachers have to learn all of these computer programs. And they're on a very steep learning curve. And a lot of the challenges come from the administration also trying to learn how are we going to do this. And, you know, they're halfway into something and go, oh, we forgot about this. And they've got to bring it in now. And that changing parameter is frustrating to teachers. It is a frustrating learning curve. And in some ways, it's frustrating because if we funded our public schools properly over the past decade or two, it wouldn't be a learning curve. Because I'm thinking about, I work in tech, and because of that, most of my coworkers are pretty tech savvy. Not everybody is like high level tech savvy, but when you try and hop on a video call, like most of us can figure it out pretty intuitively because we work with technology all the time, right? This is not true for some teachers. And it's not true for the school system that is, like you said, trying to figure out how to do this. And I was thinking about that while you're saying it, because like they also have some of the same challenges that a tech corporation or y'all with psychology have with confidentiality. Like you can't just, oh, everybody hop on Google. Like you need some amount of security and like these things need to be compliant with various laws. So it is very complicated. I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but had we been thinking about how to integrate technology into the public school system properly for the past 20 years, we'd be in a much better space right now. We'd you definitely know? be in a different one. I think it would be better because we would all, I think that there would have already been virtual learning for, you know, there would have been ways 
we could have used technology to have students who are out because of illness catch up. The kinds of asynchronous learning you're talking about would have already started happening because of the influence of technology. You know, these resources would be available online. Like we would have been spreading internet access and devices to communities for years because it would have just become part of the public school system. But instead, we don't fund that stuff. And so our teachers are underpaid and we don't have any resources. And again, we are speaking from a North Carolina, United States perspective of our experiences with public education and all that stuff. I know we have listeners from elsewhere. And I'm curious about how different states are approaching this, how different countries have been approaching this, because I know that this is not the only way it is being approached across the world. I would love to know if there is a public school system in the United States that is handling this well or has like funded technology in schools for a long time. And I'm going to define a long time as at least five years, although it should really be 10 to 20. It is 2020. And in my opinion, we should have we should have started getting technology at a high level into schools in the 2000s. We stopped using overhead projectors after a while. I think we were still using overhead projectors when I was in high school in some classrooms. We were still using them in mine too. Smartboards came tried, in eventually. They tried smartboards. In my experience, I, I don't think I ever had a class that used a smartboard effectively. I didn't even use technology in college in the classroom very much. Yeah, no. Most of my professors did not allow laptops. And I don't know that it would have helped because I don't think there was that integration. The important part here is that it has to be tied together. Like you need the online learning. You need the asynchronous stuff. You need the notes. You need to be. And I mean, again, talking about learning curves, like even in college, the professors who were using online resources resources for say like essay submission and stuff. It was clunky. It was oh, yeah. it was not hugely well implemented. The apps on our phones, they're very sleek. Like the high-end apps or like things that are being built for entertainment are so sleek and and flawless and effortless. For profit. We need that in education. Right. Exactly. But funding I mean, so funding actually started in uh, 1997 with the Technology Literacy Challenge Fund with $200 million for all 50 states. It later doubled to $425 million by 1998. And there was another one called the Resource Guide to Federal Funding for Technology in Public Schools. That was a $2 billion grant. So for 20 years, they have been doing some things. And I don't know. I'm not a politician. I don't know anything about this stuff. All I know is that there would have been less of a learning curve for everyone involved in moving to virtual if the public school system were better able to integrate that stuff earlier and over a longer period of time. And there's just not the funding for that. Well, we got pretty deep into the pros and cons of online learning this week, y'all. It's kind of a hot topic at the moment. And as you heard, we don't necessarily have the same opinions, even though none of us are actually in school. We'd love to hear your thoughts and experiences about online learning and the virtual academy. So feel free to reach out to us at questions at afpsych.com. Until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at RelationshipRoadTrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.